morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. From His Heart is heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time right here on American Family Radio. John chapter 1, verse 45 tells us, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Well, my uh, guest today is Dr. Jonathan Pennington. He is a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and he has written a brand new book entitled Come and See, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture. So, Dr. Pennington, welcome to Real Truth for Today. Thanks so much for having me on here. Well, it's a pleasure, and uh, I've enjoyed getting to read your book. Let me, uh, just to give our our listeners some background, so you are a professor at Southwest, or at Southwestern, Southern, and I went to Southwestern, sorry about that. You're a professor at Southern and uh, also uh, serving on a church staff as a pastor, and uh, so tell us a little bit about your background. How did you, uh, how did you come to know Christ, and, and what has transpired to bring you to the place where you are today? Yeah, great, thanks. Um, yeah, so I have been a Christian following Christ for about 35 years or so. Um, I grew up in a nominally Christian home in Illinois near St. Louis. Um, and the most important kind of thing about my childhood was that my father died when I was two years old. And, and so it really, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of difficulties, a lot of loss as as a child. Uh, and you know, as an adolescent, I didn't make good choices. (laughs) As you imagine, it was the eighties and uh, heavy metal was my life and hair down the middle of my bag and back and everything else that went with that. Uh, but God had other plans for me. My freshman year, just about a month into uh, college at Northern Illinois University, a man from Campus Crusade for Christ knocked on my door and shared the four spiritual laws with me, cold contact evangelism. And oh, wow. I was uh, converted on the spot. And uh, if, if listeners could see me, I have, I'm completely bald now. So I don't, you know, that's like a before and after picture of my super long hair to now. <laughs> but I, uh, it really, you know, God really showed up in my life and was mentored um, by some wonderful people over the next several years. And really, God really gave me a series of fathers in my life. And that's yeah. like part of my testimony, men that really invested in me. And one of those men uh, was a seminary student. He was a second career. He was, in his, he was probably in his early 40s at that time, had a family. He had gone back to school in Chicago at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he was one of the guys who mentored me. And so he really gave me a vision for seminary. So after I graduated, got a teaching degree, my wife and I, uh, we got married and we worked in the corporate world for a little while, but then I had, I had the bug to, to study theology more. And so I went to Trinity and in Chicago and it was a great experience. Um, and I, for five of the years I was there in seminary, I was the associate pastor of that same man. Uh, his name was Tracy Singleton uh, at an evangelical free church. And it was just a great experience. And, but the whole time, uh, you know, school was really good. I loved being a pastor as well, but I really loved the academic side of things. And so near the end of my time at the seminary, uh, we were having lots of kids. We have six kids now. We're all adults oh, wow. now. Um, our youngest is 18, but we, 
uh, during those years, a number of professors, D.A. Carson and some other people really pulled me aside and said, you know, you really should think about going on to school. I didn't even know what that meant. And so long story short, we moved to Scotland and uh, lived in the in St. Andrews. And I did a Ph.D. at the university there uh, about 20 years ago. And then wow. at the end of that, um, I was hired at Southern. And so we've been at Southern and Louisville since then. Um, and I've been a pastor off and on, and I travel to a lot of churches all over the place. But I, for the last few years, I've been uh, nearly full-time at my church, as well as being a professor. I preach about a third of the time, lead the men's ministry, disciple a lot of people. Uh, so that's yeah, a real joy. Yeah, with going, uh, going overseas to seminary, uh, that's a huge step of faith with six kids and no, I'm assuming no job. Uh, yeah, we took four with us. We had two there. So they were very productive years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, but no, uh, God just provided the money completely. And it was part of the testimony in that whole thing as well is that, uh, we had no money. I was making $17,000 a year as an associate pastor at this little church, you know, and, uh, God provided over $120,000 through various people, uh, to pay for everything for us. So it was a real amazing thing. And I really love to honor that church because they um, really just said to me, it was a little church, a little small church in rural Illinois said, we believe in you and uh, we're going to invest in you. And we don't expect anything in return. We just, we believe God has big things for you. And so I'm very thankful uh, for all the people that have invested in me over the years. Wow. That is amazing, and that's what a blessing. So let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Pennington, the, the seminary world versus the church world, it, it's, it's way, way different. You're, you're in both worlds. Um, which one do you feel more comfortable in? Mm, that's a great question. I love both worlds, and, and really the two worlds together. If you think of a Venn diagram, I'm like right in the middle of those two worlds. <laughs> and, uh, um yeah, you know, it's it's actually kind of been in, in seasons. So I had been a pastor before. I went uh, to, you know, the university and in Scotland, and that was great. And But I felt a real call towards teaching. And now I've been a teacher for almost 20 years, and I love that. I mean, I love being a professor, and it is probably at the core of my calling and identity. But over the years, as I've gotten older, um, the desire to be more directly involved in church ministry has continued to increase. And I have pretty high capacity and with my kids mostly grown now. Uh, and, you know, I've been doing, I've been a professor a long time, so I know what I'm doing a little bit. Uh, I've got the bandwidth and the desire, so I can really do both now. And so I love, I love bringing my scholarship that I train pastors with and write books on, but bringing that down to the pulpit and to the men's Bible study at 630 on Wednesday morning and to one-on-one -on -one discipleship. I, it's just, it feels really a sweet spot for me at this season of my life. So I'm very thankful. That's great. I think one of the things that's critical as a communicator, you gotta, gotta remember who am, who am I talking to and the target audience. And because talking in church to people from six to 96 uh, is way different than talking to a group of seminarians. So I think it was Martin Luther that said, if you always preach on a 10-year-old level, everybody gets it. But, but if you teach seminary on a 10-year-old level, people think that you must, you must not be very smart. Yeah, I, I seem to be able to go up and down the levels from you know, PhD seminars to academic books down to pulpit and counseling you know, people. So I, I really love it all and enjoy the, the portfolio of my opportunities that you know, are in front of me. 
Well, who has uh, greatly influenced you? I, I know you had mentioned a, a mentor, pastor mentor, uh, people that you read that you really liked that made an impact on your life. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. People don't usually ask me that. It's been so long, you know, so many different people, different phases. Um, oh, that's a great question. I mean, I mean, think early on, you know, books like, you know, J.I. Packer, that wasn't, you know, personal. I didn't know him personally, but um, in that kind of tradition um, was influential on me. Um, yeah, this man, this pastor, Tracy Singleton, my PhD supervisor, um, mm-hmm. Main, a man named Richard Bauckham. Most listeners probably wouldn't know who he is, but he's a very well-known New Testament scholar. He had a big impact on me. Uh, in seminary, uh, Don Carson, a guy named Bob Yarborough, who teaches at Covenant Seminary now in St. Louis, and Mike Bullmore, who is a, who is a great, he's my preaching professor. So there are just so many people that have invested yeah. in me. Okay, well, let's talk, Doc, let's talk about your new book, uh, Come and See, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture. Uh, As I had mentioned to you uh, before we started the broadcast, this is a very different book than, personally, than I've ever read uh, because of the metaphor of driving a car. Share a little bit about that because that's kind of how the book is is situated. Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Um, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. There are a lot of books, uh, about how to study the Bible and kind of what the, how, what the Bible's role is in our lives. So that's, you know, I'm entering a crowded kind of space there, but I'm glad that you found it helpful and fresh. Yeah. The idea was, or is that, um, I wanted to use the motif or the idea of a journey, which is something that Christians have used in a lot of contexts. It's in the Bible. There's a lot of talk about being on the way and a journey and actually other religions and you know, other things we, it's a, it's a helpful metaphor to think about life as a journey. And so I wanted to use that to think about, um, the lifelong journey of knowing God through Holy scripture. And, you know, there are other ways that God reveals himself through nature and through blessings of friends and, you know, sermons and things. But, you know, we believe that the Bible is the primary way in which we come to understand God. And it's a lifelong thing though. It's not just like we, you know, acquire the information. Uh, of who God is and have it forever. It's it's really a returning to scripture and learning again and understanding who he is. The idea is that let's think about our life and reading the Bible like a road trip and a road trip with three really good friends who are very different. They have different personalities. They love different things, but they are good friends and they love each other. And this is such a long road trip, like the length of our lives, that they each need to take turns driving. And the rule is that whoever's driving gets to control the podcast or the radio station, you know, whatever you're listening to, I'm sure turning to American family radio, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. The, uh, so each of these friends then represent three different kind of modes or ways of reading the Bible, meaning that really there are different kinds of questions we can ask of the Bible and, and they're all valuable, but they give us different insights into what God is saying in scripture. So the, if you want me to go into them, the, the first person, sure. uh, the first friend is named Ingrid, and there's not really any significance to the names. People yeah. That all the time, except for that they, they alliterate. Um, so Ingrid provides what we call an informational kind of reading. She focuses on, you know, historical background and, and uh, what's going on in ancient cultures and how do you analyze a poem that's when it's different than like a, a letter that we call genre. And so she just helps us really recognize that there's things about the Bible that we need help with understanding, you know, and, and that she gives us, she focuses on this information, uh, to help bridge the gap of a lot of things we don't understand about the Bible. And so she's really important. 
but she's not the only important friend on the trip. Tom represents what we'll call a theological reading. And this one may be something we don't think about as much, but the idea of a theological reading is the fact that Christians, again, need help. And throughout the church's history, we have been helped by um, what were originally called creeds, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Uh, Throughout the church's history, like in the Reformation, you have a bunch of confessions, they're called. Westminster Confession, Belgic, uh, in the Baptist tradition, we have the Baptist faith and message. And and down to individual churches, you often have a doctrinal statement. And those things don't replace the Bible, but they do help us read the Bible in thoughtful ways because the reality is it is very possible to read the Bible wrongly. I mean, like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or various other peoples can actually read the same verses we're reading and come to a very different conclusion about them. Right. And so the point of theology is just to help guide us with people before us who've gone before us who've thought deeply about things like the Trinity, you know, because there's no verse in the Bible that you can go to prove the Trinity. The Trinity is the truth that we understand by wrestling with a variety of texts in scripture, right? So Tom represents this um, theological reading, just kind of help us think about the role that theology plays in knowing God. Mm-hmm. And then the final one is Taylor, who represents a transformational reading. And and really briefly, the point here is that if we read the Bible and we know a lot about its information, even we know a lot about its theology, but we aren't transformed by the power of the Spirit, that we don't like read it for personal transformation, then our reading doesn't really matter at the end of the day. In fact, mm-hmm. it's possible to know a lot about God and actually not know him. You see right. that in the Pharisees and other people in the Bible as well. Mm-hmm. And the, so Taylor really emphasizes like our work is not done when we know a bunch of things about the Bible and when we know a bunch of things about God. We need to read it in a certain way that uh, pursues becoming more conformed to the image of Christ. So that's what those three readers represent. Amen. Very good. Well, the book is called Come and See by Dr. Jonathan Pennington. And you're listening to Real Truth for Today. And I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. And we're delving into this great book. And uh, we are up against a break. So don't go away. We will be right back. Back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We're talking about the brand new book, Come and See, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture by Dr. Jonathan Pennington. Dr. Pennington is a professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the pastor of spiritual formation at Sojourn East Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, so Doc, as we left uh, on the first segment, we were talking about the, the three drivers of the car that are on this journey, and it's a different way to interpret Scripture. As you were talking about the last one, the transformational reading of Scripture, uh, and as you said, if we're not being changed by the Scripture, something is wrong. We're, it's like the book of James, say, we're hearers only, but we're not doing it. 
And if you're just a hearer and not a doer, uh, Jesus said, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. The blessing is not necessarily in the knowing, it's in the putting it into practice and doing. So of the three, and if you can recap those again for us just briefly, but of the three, which one would, would you be? <laughs> yeah, so again, Ingrid represents an informational reading. She helps us understand things about the Bible that and culture about it that we may not understand. Tom represents, again, theological reading, like understanding that the creeds and confessions of faith and doctoral statements guide us in reading the Bible well. And as you were just saying, Taylor represents a transformational reading. Which one would I be? I don't know. Maybe I hope all three. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the point of the metaphor is that we really do need all three and that it's good to recognize that we probably tend in our personal lives as well as our individual churches, we probably tend towards one or two of these readings and not the other. Like if you're, if it's probably good, like self-diagnosis, diagnostic tools just say, okay, which of those ways do I tend to read? Do I read it like very theologically and I never think about application, you know, transformation, or do I read it very informationally? I love history and I love that. And then never really think about like how this fits into the church's history. So, I mean, the balanced reader, which I hope I'm somewhere in there, uh, is, is trying to do all three, um, and the, the point of the book is just to invite people to kind of grow in whatever areas they're not as used to reading the Bible that way. So target audience is not necessarily a, a seminary student. It's just for a student of the Bible. Yeah, very much so. I have the privilege of, I travel to a lot of churches and teach and preach lots of places. And this book really comes out of seeing people's hunger and need to, you know, have some tools to help read the Bible well. So yeah, this is written for my mother-in-law, you know, my, my adult children, my own church, you know, people, right. uh, regular people. Okay. So one of the things I was wanting to pick up on this, I was at a conference recently and talking about application, which is, you know, the, the transformational part, you know, how do I apply the scripture and the particular conference really, uh, did not emphasize that at all. The, the attitude was, uh, application is uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, so I'm not going to get involved in that, uh, which I I wasn't taught that way. I was My preaching professor was Dr. Wayne McDill at Southeastern Seminary, and he was all about, that was every, every point. You have to have explanation, illustration, argumentation, and application. And so what would you say to somebody that's wanting to teach the Bible? Would you be one that would say, yes, you need to let people know how to apply this? Yeah, I, I certainly would. Um, I would also um, make some distinction between preaching and teaching. I mean, I think application is always important uh, for me. And of course, I live in both these worlds of teaching and preaching. Uh, I think my students would say that I'm regularly applying the Bible to them. But when I'm in a teaching environment, um, you know, the purpose is a little different. It's primarily to communicate truth, you know? And so I think the comparable thing in the church would be like an adult Sunday school or even any Sunday school, or like I teach a class at our church, we call foundations that's on the apostles creed and another one on like basic Christian ethics. And, you know, I certainly talk about application, but the purpose in, in that teaching environment is to communicate a lot of information. So that's the focus. Preaching, I think is a little different. It's certainly communicating what the Bible says, but it's helping people understand how it really connects to their real lives. I mean, that's our, that's the role of the preacher, I think. So I can't imagine not, you know, focusing on application uh, in a sermon. So that's pretty important to me. 
Well, it was interesting at this conference. So lots of good preachers that were there. Uh, everything was extremely Bible-oriented, where you were learning this passage. Uh, you're familiar with the John Stott book, Between Two Worlds, and you bridge the gap. And, and I thought it was strange, and this was a different this was a different theological stream than I'm normally swimming in. But there wasn't any bridging of the gap. It was just in the biblical world. It was understanding the biblical world. And these guys have helped me to understand the biblical world really, really well. But there has to be, you know, you're talking about the guy in the pew. If we just stay in the biblical world and don't don't come to the to the present day world, he starts to think the Bible is just an ancient text that doesn't have any application for today. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also try to model for our congregation that they too can read the Bible and and hear from God. Like, I mean, yes, God has given teachers to the church who are skilled and gifted and called and have the luxury of time to do these kind of things and the gifts to do it. But you know, you don't have to, you don't only learn to apply the Bible, you know, when somebody tells you, you know, it's, and so I try to model, yeah, if you look at this and then ask this question, how does, yeah, I think two of the simplest questions are, what does this text reveal about who God is and who God is for us in Jesus? And then what does it reveal about me and like my response to that? And so even those two good questions, I think, not only do I try to model in preaching, but they really, those are questions that anyone can ask when they're reading the Bible on their own. And those are really good application questions, I think. Well, I think also for new Christians, the Bible can be intimidating because uh, it's such a big book. The Old Testament for new Christians tends to be really difficult. Uh, so, so we always try and kind of encourage people, read the Gospel of John for new believers and that kind of thing. Uh, what would you say and how do you, how do you disciple a new believer to get them in the mode of understanding the Bible? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, John is probably the typical place that a lot of people rightly start. Um, uh, John is really, Gospel of John is really interesting because on the one hand, it is really simple, but it's also the most profound too. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like once you start, uh, the stories are easy to read, probably easier than the than the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics. But once you start to ask, like, what does that really mean? It actually is the most profound of the Gospels. So, but I still think it's a great place to start. Um, you know, I, I've used various like discipleship books. Sometimes there are really good discipleship books that can help blanking on the name of the one I used recently. They kind of go through not only the Bible, but again, basic doctrines are, I think are really helpful to understand too. You know, what what is, who is God as the Trinity and uh, what does it mean for Jesus to be both God and human and what is salvation? So I think a lot of those topics, those theological ideas are really an important part of discipleship. That's how I was discipled as a young Christian, you know, 35 years ago and and what I've tended to do as well. Did, it, did I answer your question? Maybe I didn't. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you did. So I was talking to somebody just the other day and they were talking about not really reading the Bible. Um, they come to church and they're faithful and they pray, but uh, Bible reading was not high on their list. And I was thinking to myself, this is a good friend of mine. I said, well, you know, that that's your food, that's your milk and your meat and your bread. Uh, you're not going to grow very much spiritually if you're not spending time in the Word of God. W- where do you think we are, uh, Dr. Pennington, today in uh, in the average church member's understanding of Scripture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think you do hear people lament a lot about 
biblical illiteracy or, you know, just the lack of reading. Um, it's probably part of a larger lack of reading in our culture overall that I think yes. has obviously been ramped up in the age of the internet. I mean, I see, I see the pressures on myself as well. Like it's so much easier to just open my phone and do whatever, you know, look at social media or play Scrabble or whatever than it is right. to pick up a book. And that's true of all of us. And I think that kind of has this knock on effect in our reading the Bible too, which is um, certainly a loss. One thing we do at my church is the, I run the men's ministry and then the director of the women's ministry is on my team as well. And so we have um, some really great Bible studies that we have about 275 people coming to weekly. And it is the men's ministry runs a men's Bible study. The women's ministry runs a couple of women's Bible studies. And we use a Bible study book like by, you know, Jen Wilkin or whoever it is. And we encourage people to do the study on their own. So it's a good way to kind of get used to it rather than just kind of like, ah, go read your Bible. Like we actually give them a little study where they read these verses and answer these questions about them. And then we meet together once a meet week for the men at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesdays. And we get a teaching. Somebody teaches briefly on the same passage that you studied on your own. And then we have like tables where you sit with the same guys each week where you then kind of discuss it. And we have found that to really, really work well. The women do the exact same thing. We actually do the same text, the men and women each week, which is great because for the whole church is there are a lot of people in the church are studying the same text. We just finished first Peter and, and the husbands and wives that they're in there, they're studying the same text. It's really great. But that's, that's a way to kind of help people get used to studying the Bible, um, by reading kind of in little chunks and getting some help and some discussion rather than just kind of you're on your own to read the Bible. So we found that to be really helpful for people. One of the things that I found uh, very interesting in the book, uh, Come and See, you talk about reading the Bible canonically, you talk about it reading it traditionally, you talk about it reading it creedally, and uh, those those words can seem big and like, I don't know what that means, but break that down for the listener. What does it mean to read the Bible canonically? Yeah, thanks. That's a good question. I've been doing a lot of, I've been talking about this book a lot of places. Nobody's ever asked me that question. That's that's good. Thank you. Um yeah, canonically is um, reading it aware that the Bible is not actually just a book. It's actually more like a library. So when you go into it, there's like all different rooms and different types of books in it. You know, you've got Proverbs and you've got poetry like the Psalms. You've got stories, tons of stories. Mm -hmm. um, you've got, you know, visions, prophetic visions and things like that about the future. So um, the idea is that whenever you're reading any portion of the Bible, any text, any book of the Bible, it's really part of something bigger that, that the can, that's what we call the canon. The canon is the, the 66 books of the Bible that are recognized by the church and have been forever, that these are the ones inspired and authoritative, unlike, you know, other good things we might read. We can read, read books by other people, but the Bible is unique. And that's what we mean by the canon. So whenever you're reading any portion of the Bible, you should be aware of the other portions of the Bible as much as you can, because we believe God is behind all of it. So that's what a canonical reading means. Uh, traditionally, well, a traditional, a, hold on one second. Let me ask a question because this has been in uh, social on social media, especially Twitter a lot, where Andy Stanley is talking about unhitching from the Old Testament, things like that. Uh, what, what would you be your response to that kind of thinking? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good question. So um, 
Yeah, the church's view has always been that we have a two testament canon, meaning the Old Testament and the New Testament together are God's breathed out words. And, you know, in fact, when you read in the New Testament, whenever Paul or other people or Jesus talks about the scriptures, the New Testament's not written yet when they're saying that. So what they're talking about is the what we would now call the Old Testament. They would have just called the scriptures in those days or the Hebrew scriptures and the Jewish scriptures or something. And so that has always been the church's view is that, yeah, there there are some there's more revelation that occurs in the New Testament. And there are some things that are different because we are not part of the Mosaic covenant. We're part of the Jesus covenant, the new covenant. So there are some things that are different, but the Old Testament still reveals who God is. I mean, God has not changed. And so while there are some skills to learn to kind of read the Old Testament appropriately as a Christian, what we cannot do is like ignore it or dismiss it or write it off. I mean, that's never been the church's view. And I think that's, um, you know, kind of lazy in some ways. I mean, I understand there are some difficult things in the Old Testament. We don't want to act like there aren't, but the church has wrestled with this forever. And we've always affirmed that the Old Testament is just as authoritative uh, and inspired by God as the name. Amen. Okay, so we we can study the Bible canonically in in context of the 66 books, but we can also study it traditionally. So what what does that mean, Doc? Yeah, yeah. This goes back to what I was talking about. If you were listening earlier about the um, the importance of theology, that again, God has led His leaders and teachers over the centuries to formulate the proper things that the Bible is teaching because it's easy to misread them. So again, the example of the Trinity is a good one, that there's still, there's one God, but that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, it's it'd be really easy to misunderstand that because that's kind of a hard idea. It'd be easy to think of it like, there, oh, there must be three gods and, and they're all friends, so it's okay or something. <laughs> but to emphasize there's one God in three persons or that Jesus, again, is fully God and fully human. What does that mean? What does that not mean? You know, and so th- this is what tradition mean or theological reading means. It means that we're recognizing I, I shouldn't just open the Bible and think that I'm just going to understand everything immediately and have the best understanding. I need teachers. I need help. We need people that have gone before us who have wrestled with the best way to think so, think about what the Bible's saying. So that's what a tradition reading means. It doesn't replace the Bible, but it guides us uh, into a good reading of the Bible. Okay, so if you if you were thinking like from Isaiah's perspective, Jeremiah's perspective, would they have understood God as Trinity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> um, it does not seem to be because there was not a clarity of that revelation until um, Jesus, as the God, Son of God incarnate, uh, makes that clear. Um, the emphasis in the Old Testament was that there was one God, so that's the same. There was an awareness that there's the Spirit of God, right, for the very first verses of Genesis, who is God. And there's an awareness that there is, well, there's there's a mystery to it. There are some beings that are mentioned, like the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, that's a person who, you know, we don't know who he is exactly. So I don't think they fully understood the Trinity until the New Testament. Right. Very good. Well, we're talking to Dr. Jonathan Pennington, and we're talking about his new book, Come and See, 
the journey of knowing God through Scripture. You're listening to Real Truth for Today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. Don't go away. For today, Pastor Jeff Shreve here talking to Dr. Jonathan Pennington about his new book, Come and See the Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture. And Dr. Pennington is a professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and pastor of spiritual formation at Sojourn East Church in Louisville, Kentucky. So as we left off, uh, Doc, we were talking about uh, the understanding of Old Testament prophets of, of the, the Trinity and most of those guys wouldn't have, have known that. And uh, I, I have always taught and been taught and have taught that it was very difficult for the New Testament uh, religious leaders to embrace the idea that, that God was, that Jesus could be God. And it was hard for the disciples to embrace that too. Uh, how do you see that in your studies of the New Testament? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. To go back to what did the prophets understand? I mean, first Peter tells us in chapter one that the angels even didn't, didn't fully understand in the sense of like, and longed and the prophets of old didn't understand fully what was going on, even though God knew obviously Mm -hmm. uh, from the beginning that uh, what all was happening. Um, Yeah. So I think that I, I think it is true that people struggled at first to understand that Jesus was God. That makes sense because they just, or, or that Messiah, the Messiah was going to be God in the flesh. Yeah. Because of the emphasis all the way back in Deuteronomy and earlier of that, that there's one God, the Lord, your God is one. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. so I think at first that is the case, but you know, they, I think the disciples, even in their not total understanding, they do begin to see something more is going on here. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, even Jesus' enemies do when they, when Jesus like proclaims the forgiveness of sin, say the paralytic man in Matthew chapter nine, and and they understood that to say that is blasphemy um, because only God can forgive sins unless it is true that he really is God. So it does begin to dawn on people that he's claiming to be God. Mm-hmm. I think what happens what really becomes the real difficult thing to think about in the early years of the church, like after Pentecost was that they were worshiping Jesus. They realized he was not just a human. He was God in flesh. That's what the new Testament says. You know, he was born of the Virgin, et cetera. I think the real question became, how is that true? And there still is only one God. Like that's the more complicated question, right? Because again, it'd be really easy to say, Oh, well, there must've been three gods then. Okay. We only thought there was one. Turns out there are three. But that's not what they understand. They understand that there's still only one God. So that becomes the real, if Jesus is God, how is there still one God? And that's where the wrestlings with the, the Trinity become so important. So that, and that's a hard question, you know, but it's certainly what the church has always affirmed. Well, as you know, the, uh, the, the show, The Chosen is very popular and lots of people are watching it and pastors and seminary professors are having to navigate those waters just because it it is very popular and it's one of those things that it's like well i don't want you to not watch it i tell people this all the time you need to watch it with your bible and you need to check and see what is license and what is scripture i don't i don't know uh, doc if you saw the um, the depiction of nicodemus with jesus 
and Nicodemus is wanting to bow down and worship him. And I, I watched that and said, no way, that did not happen like that. Nicodemus was a lot more skeptical, and it took him a while to embrace the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. What's your take on that? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of it um, for no good reason, really. I mean, I've, there's I've, the parts I've watched were great. I mean, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed them. I was really moved at many points. Um, my wife had a 11 months ago had a very significant brain tumor and was out of the blue. And we spent a long time in the hospital together. I was with her 24-7 for several weeks as she was trying to recover. And I remember we watched some of the jesus healing people portions that's not the only parts i watch and i just remember i'll never forget how moving that was to kind of feel the as we were begging god for to heal my wife you know and and just to see that depicted really powerfully i thought was really beautiful um and i I have a lot of space personally for like film versions and kind of creative license i I actually don't that doesn't bother me at all i know it bothers some people um so i've the parts i've watched i've really been edified by um, I think it's good advice, you know, to read with, with the Bible open for sure. Um, but I, I also don't want people to be skeptical, you know, in the sense of like, I think their motives are really sincere and they're really trying to depict Jesus. You know, when you think about the Gospels, they're actually very thin on details. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. ac- they're, they're extremely short stories. A lot of the stories are like six, seven, eight verses, nine verses long, and they don't have the kind of like the daily daily life. And also right. we as readers from far away, we don't understand what, what it was like to be a Jewish person in the first century with the Romans oppressing you. So right. those are the kind of things that I think something like The Chosen really does well. It kind of technicolorizes. Mm-hmm. It gives us a sense of what original hearers would have known more naturally, right? So that's, right. even though, you know, there are things that they're doing that aren't quote unquote in a verse of the Bible, I think they're underneath what's going on in the Bible, and and they seem to be doing a good job with a lot of that stuff, as far as I can tell. Well, they did the woman at the well, John 4, that I thought was tremendous. And uh, Doc, I think one of the things that sometimes people that read the Bible forget is just exactly what you said. The Bible doesn't tell us all the things that were said at those encounters. The Holy Spirit picks the things that that he wants us to know. But no doubt, Jesus spoke more to that woman at the well than what's recorded there in Scripture. And so, uh, yeah, I, I thought they did a tremendous job with that. But I, I did think that they, they missed the boat on Nicodemus because I think it took people a while, especially somebody like that, to embrace the fact that this guy is the Messiah. So I haven't seen that portion. That's interesting. I mean, when, what happens with Nicodemus is, you know, I'm sure— he appears three times in the gospel of John right. and the first time in John three, I think he is very skeptical. A lot of times people have read that like, Oh, he's seeking. I think everything he's saying is ironic and sarcastic and he doesn't believe in Jesus. But then halfway through the book, he's starting to wonder. And then at the end, he's one of the people who, you know, sacrifices his own money and his honor. Really. He puts himself at risk to, to help bury Jesus. You know, I mean, it's really powerful. And Nicodemus, that name is really important because it's a it's a latin name that means ruler of the people so he is a he is both a pharisee and a ruler of the people that means he's like a rock star like there's nobody else in the new testament <laughs> we meet that is i mean really he's like you either meet pharisees or you meet like politically connected people but to have somebody who's both of those is really remarkable 
And that, and so to see him over the course of John, like come and see, that's what happens at first. He's skeptical. Then he's beginning to wonder. And then he gives his life to Jesus at the end. It's really a beautiful thing. And I don't know what they were doing in the chosen. Maybe they were just trying to, you know, compress it into one story, which sometimes that happens, but uh, it is a really beautiful story in John. What, uh, what happened to Nicodemus? I've read some things that it seems like it's more just conjecture, but uh, I was told that, you know, when he embraced Jesus, then he was kicked out of the Sanhedrin and uh, lost his wealth and that kind of thing. Do you have anything to add there? I don't know anything beyond what would be just kind of traditional things about that. I mean, it seems that seems a reasonable thing in light of the fact that he puts himself out there in terms of identifying with Jesus. I mean, that was deadly for many people, obviously. Let me ask you this question. I just like to pick your brain since you're a New Testament scholar. Um, on the day of Pentecost with the 3000 putting their faith in Christ, getting baptized, which was a, that's a big major statement. Hey, we're followers of Jesus. All those 3000 would have been kicked out of the, the synagogue, correct? Based on John nine, that if you were professing him to be the Christ, they would kick you out. Uh, I think probably a lot of them did. I think it probably varied by location a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. so you can just imagine. So think about Paul's journeys, um, what he does when he goes into a town and, and other and Barnabas and others. They go to the synagogue first because they're most likely to have some kind of connection. People are going to understand more what they're talking about. And you see th one of three things happens. The synagogue says, you're out of here. You're horrible. You know, get out of here. And then they'll go to a Gentile's house or somebody else's house and keep preaching or the marketplace. Sometimes um, the synagogue, probably the more rare thing, the whole synagogue converts, right? And says, we believe in this. Probably what happens most of the time is that some of the people believe and some of the people don't, right? Mm -hmm. And it kind of depends on who the leaders are and whether they convert or not. And I think probably what happens is that as the Gospels goes in to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as Paul keeps saying, um, there is there's a splitting probably, right? And so mm -hmm. I think with the believers at Pentecost or others, it all kind of depends on when they went back to their synagogue, if the majority of the people converted to become a Christian following group or not. So it probably varied a lot. Mm -hmm. All right, back to the book, Come and See, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture. Uh, Doc, what do you hope the readers uh, gain from reading this book? Yeah, good question. Thanks. Um, I really hope that people will grow in their confidence that they can read the Bible. Um, that it, like we were talking about earlier, it is really intimidating, especially for new believers or even people that have been around a long time. It's you know, it's a book from two to three thousand years ago, and it can be difficult to understand. Um, so I, I just want people to recognize that it is possible to to grow in our understanding of of how to read the Bible, and that it's important. Uh, because it is the again the primary way in which we come to understand who God is uh, clearly and the, and who we are as a result of that as well. Uh, so I, I want people to you know increase their confidence and their skills uh, in in reading the Bible well. Amen. Well, that's uh, that's desperately needed in uh, in our world today and in the church today. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, biblical illiteracy is on the increase. Uh, obviously, and things that you say in church, if you make a reference to something that 25 years ago, everybody knew what you were talking about, and now people look at you and they're like, who, who is, who's Abraham? 
who's Moses? They don't necessarily know those people. And so I, I've told our guys, I said, listen, you, you can go deep with people, but you have to go step by step by step. You can't just start out six feet deep because then they're lost. And so what would you say to a Bible teacher that's listening, uh, Doc, uh, about, you know, telling things and using illustrations from Scripture? Because the Old Testament is just filled with great illustrations of uh, biblical truths in the, in the New Testament. How would they go about using that in a way that a person that doesn't know very much can still track? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're right. The, the audience is going to be very mixed, probably based on kind of age largely and how many of the references they're going to get. Um, I mean, I think you can take time in the message to, you know, explain things briefly. Um, and just like I do this at our church, I'll say, yeah, this comes from Deuteronomy, which, you know, maybe you're not familiar with that. This is this book from the Old Testament when this is happening or whatever. I think you could just take a, you know, 20 seconds to do that. But I think the bigger issue is that I think as leaders in the church, we need to create spaces besides the pulpit to help people grow in their understanding. So whether it's adult Sunday school, community groups, um, discipleship groups, whatever it is, I, I don't think the pulpit can bear all the weight for all the teaching about the Bible in the church. Um, it's a very crucial part of the teaching of the church, but we need other spaces. So just recently, I mentioned earlier, I, I've started a couple of classes at our church that are on a rotation and just four week classes, one on the Apostles Creed, kind of basic doctrines, one on Christian ethics. And a lot of churches do different things. And we have men's and women's Bible studies. And those are intentional to say that it takes a long time to understand all the things going on in the Bible. And that's okay. It's a journey. Um, mm -hmm. And we need to lead by giving a lot of different spaces and opportunities to do that. Mm, very good. Well, the book is Come and See. The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture, and uh, that phrase comes from uh, the Gospel of John, and Jesus said, come and see, and, and Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see, and I tell people this, uh, Doc, all the time, hey, you can be a witness just by inviting people to church and telling them, hey, come with me, come and see what the Lord is doing in our midst, and you know, sometimes I think we try, we complicate it too much. We can teach so many things about witnessing that the person becomes uh, scared to death to do it. And it, it really is just as one man put it, one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And the, the, more, uh, the more we share, the more we see people respond to that. And, um, you know, I, I want our, our folks in the pews to be encouraged that God does want to use them. And you don't have to be a seminary graduate to share Christ or to know the scripture and to grow in your relationship with God. And so uh, speak to that if you would. We have just another minute to go uh, just to encourage the listener in that way. Yeah, I, I, I think about this a lot too. At our church, how we do baptisms is that when somebody's being baptized, we have them write out their testimony. We have somebody else, a friend of theirs, read it. Um, and one of the things that always strikes me about it, I love doing, love hearing testimonies, is that someone was intentional. Often multiple people were intentional in that person's life. They didn't have to be a seminary professor. They didn't have to be a pastor. Someone just loved a person and said, hey, come to church. Or, hey, do you want to get together and read the Bible? Or, hey, let's get coffee. I'd love to hear more about your life and your story. And that that small, simple steps of intentionally leaning into relationships with people is really what 
makes the difference. Sometimes people become Christians by opening a Gideon Bible in a, in a hotel, but most of the time people become Christians through other people having intentional relationships of love with them. Amen. What a good word. Well, Dr. Jonathan Pennington, thank you for being my guest today. And I appreciate your ministry and I appreciate the book, Come and See. And I encourage our listeners to get a copy of it. And thanks for being with us today on Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. Go out, shine for Christ, and share what great things the Lord has done. And God will use you as his witness. God bless you.